Hey everyone, welcome back to another season of Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. On this show, we dive deep into how you can use data to measure, manage, and optimize your health with the latest science and technology. This show is brought to you by Heads Up, which is our web and mobile app designed for individuals and healthcare professionals who need a precise way to measure and manage health data. Check us out at headsuphealth.com. If you've got comments, questions, or feedback on this show, shoot us an email, support at headsuphealth.com. We'd love to hear from you. And with that said, let's get into our next exciting episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Data Driven Health Radio. I'm your host, Dave Korsunsky. And uh, my guest today is Dr. Alex Keller. You know, he beat me to the baseball cap today. So uh, I'm a little bit upset about that. I definitely would be rather wearing a baseball cap. You look way cooler than I do, Doc. Anyhow, I know we've been threatening to do this show for a really, really long time. And I'm glad we finally made it happen. Welcome. Thank you. Like I said, you're always welcome to join me. With well, you know, every time I get on the call with you and Dr. Glad, you got the baseball caps going. <laughs> we and, usually uh, do, I know. <laughs> and I, I totally spaced on that. It's a Friday. It would have been just much more comfortable. You know, we, we bonded when we first met on the mutual goal of practicing medicine in a t-shirt, jeans, and a baseball cap. And now we get to do that. So <laughs> I just want to practice. Out there, I want to practice life in a t-shirt, jeans, and a baseball cap. Yes. Well said. Agreed. Yes. I'm going to write that down. Quote. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, anyhow, you, you and I caught up yesterday, Dr. Alex, and, and we really were just thinking about, first of all, what we want to cover on, on today's show. And then also, what are the opportunities for full script and heads up to collaborate? And we really kind of settled on this idea of how can we work with patients to, first of all, assess and then design a protocol for a specific individual. And we were talking yesterday about the example of, of continuous glucose monitors, but it could be any protocol. And then how can we actually track that protocol through, specifically around the adherence and the compliance to the protocol and make sure that that's happening. And then are so, there are some ways that we can actually measure the outcomes at the end of it. And I, th mm -hmm. I think that's always been a challenge, especially when we get into functional and integrative health is figuring out, did it work? Can we measure that objectively? Why did it work? Did the right numbers move? And so I know this is a big focus for you guys at Fullscript right now, this notion of, um, protocol design, protocol compliance, protocol adherence. So maybe you could just start off by sharing like where your head is at on all of this stuff, how you guys are doing that today, and then how can we complement that by starting to bring in the data that really kind of follows a person after they've started and then helps provide some insights into whether it's working or not and then helps us measure the outcomes at the end. But from the full script side, how are you guys thinking about this, this concept of um, protocol design, adherence, and compliance? I love that intro. You know, you touched on a lot of key points there, but you know, a big one is the data-driven side of what we do in integrative medicine. Yep. And you know, we, we classically, I feel like we've been faulted or burdened with the fact that we have not brought enough data or evidence into this space. And it's hard because the evidence base for the interventions in this space are much less than they are in the pharmaceutical space yeah. in comparison. And so to some degree, we have to build that evidence base by continually driving 
data-driven decision-making as much as we can and gathering the data along the way when we can as well. So to answer your question, from a, a protocol perspective, one big area that we focused on the last few years was building out protocols that are evidence-based with whatever evidence is available so that people are informed about the ingredients they should be considering within a protocol or the components, I should say. So that can be a supplement ingredient, or it can be a dietary invention, a lifestyle intervention, and putting the evidence behind those, but then allowing the practitioners to make the decision of what exact product that would be based on the, the information that we're providing them. So we have that kind of a protocol library. We are, we're actually in the process right now of embedding this within Fullscript so that it's more easily accessible. And from there, a big area that we've started to shift into now is what happens after that treatment plan is issued. Yep. So if I hit send and my patient receives it on the other side and they purchase the products or they they start doing what it is that I recommend that they do, follow this diet, take or change this in your lifestyle, take these products, whatever it might be, then we want to ensure that they stay on that treatment plan as well. Because if you if you hit send once, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to stay on that plan Absolutely. long-term and have that behavioral change. And this is what we were talking about yesterday. And what we've always talked about is how can we then start plugging in the outcome data to measure what kind of an impact is actually happening and further drive that behavior change. Because without that, if you don't actually see what's happening, you know, oftentimes you may still have a symptom but below the surface, when you're actually looking at the data, for instance, continuous glucose monitoring can yep. show you shifts that are immediate, whereas your symptoms may not change right away. So that's the fascination in terms of, of working together. Well, the real-time feedback, I think, also really helps people stay on track, especially if they can just even get some simple numbers, like even just seeing that their fasting glucose came down a few percentage points in a few days, just from something that they did themselves, and they can start to see the numbers in front of their eyes, yeah. it will be what I would call organic compliance. It means that, okay, I'm doing this because I want to now, because I see this working instead of someone, for example, telling me that I need to do this and there will be some outcome at the end. Mm -hmm. So I think there's different ways that the data can be motivational, but I want to back up to what you had mentioned before, which is kind of this after you hit send type of a situation. And you and I are, are, whether we like it or not, we're also in, in the technology world. And um, what comes up for me is any business, honestly, is the concept of a funnel. And that funnel means that I, I got someone to my website. <laughs> Let's use a, a technology example here. That's, that's the first step of the funnel. And then they actually clicked on the button. <laughs> that's the second step of the funnel. And we track that and we track the conversion from the landing page to the button click. Okay. And then they actually registered. Okay. Now I'm tracking that part of it. That means they even completed the registration. So I know my website works properly and mm -hmm. I can sign in. And then once they get to become your customer, you're going to want them to take certain actions and you, you can decide what actions they are. They, they log into the full script and they actually buy something. That'd be another step in the funnel. So you know, there's these concepts we can apply, but if you were to, to take that now to the concept of a medical protocol, and you could say, from the moment I hit send, let's just take, you and I had talked about the uh, using an example of someone who is pre-diabetic as an example. Yeah. So from the moment I hit send on the protocol, how would we lay out those milestones, for example? So the, the first one would be that they even opened it. 
And mm-hmm. and the second one that we would and, and we would want to track is did they actually buy the products that they need to get to this? And then throughout that, I don't know, 30, 60, 90 day journey, we'd need other data points along the way to know that mm-hmm. this is still working. We'd need some way to know on a periodic basis that they're still taking the supplement, for example, that they were prescribed. We might also want to know that they're measuring their blood sugar every day. And so like, how would you see different milestones from start to finish? Like almost how would you start to visualize that? What kind of checkpoints would you have along the way? Obviously just basic stuff like, did you perform this action today designed throughout? So I'm sure you've given that some thought, but maybe you could lay out what you think those checkpoints and those data points would be from, from the moment someone says start to the moment where you think, okay, we're now ready to retest. Like what's involved in that? What does that journey look like? And, and how could we start to measure that? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So maybe just taking one quick step back, you said this without saying it. You know, the first step is providing the data to substantiate diagnosis in the first place and walking through that with your patients that they understand why this treatment plan, why is it that I'm recommending these products and these recommendations? Based and, off their lab data or, or other metrics. So that's the first part of it is some type of assessment-based objective measurement. Yes. You can say, this is why we've designed it this way. This is where this number is today. This is where it needs to get to tomorrow. Is that fair? Yes. Correct. Yeah. And, and actually just to put some more research behind it, we recently did a big study on adherence. And in that we confirmed that using objective data is much better for maintaining adherence versus if you just use an opinion or a statement, yeah. right? It seems like a no-brainer, but in practice, especially when we have busy practices with high volume of patients, we tend to get a bit lazy in this regard. And if you don't give the pre-situation, in other words, okay, here's where we are, here's what your values say, and let's walk through and explain what these actually mean. And then you go on to explain, here's what the intervention is that I'm providing and why I'm providing that. That to me is the first step. in in a treatment plan. Then we talk about the treatment plan and then we hit send on that treatment plan. And the other big component here is when you're explaining a treatment plan, explaining it in staged approaches so that the patient understands this is not necessarily the only thing we're going to do. It may take time for one, and we may change things up along the way. So a great example of this is berberine, fairly well-known ingredient. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a supplement. Familiar with it. I haven't personally for, tried it, but familiar with it. Yeah. Blood sugar regulation. It's one of the ones that are, are kind of key within any blood sugar regulating or reducing protocol. So the minimum that you're looking at for recommending that is usually around 12 weeks before you see any effect, right? Yep. So you have to explain that it's not going to happen tomorrow. Yep. It may not happen for a couple of weeks, 12 weeks. Right. So details like that are important when you're developing the treatment plan and and explaining them with the patient. From there, once you hit send, like you mentioned, you know, you want to obviously that they they open your recommendation. Here's a funny point. We (laughs) we've recently started proactive outreach with our CS team to patients who have not filled a treatment plan. And most of them end up reporting that they never got the treatment plan. They didn't know how to open it and they didn't know what to do with it when they opened it. So very basic 
problems that are mostly totally nothing to do with the right? program at all. It's like we, we exactly. just the same thing it was a glitch on our sign up page. I didn't even get it. Yeah. <laughs> that's the first, exactly. first simple stuff. And that's kind of like what we're getting at here, which is how do you break down these stages? And you just gave some great examples. Oh, I couldn't even open it. I didn't get it. I opened it. I didn't know what to do. Like that's exactly. stuff you got to fix. And that that's very common with a lot of users, especially the non-tech savvy users, right? So, 100%. so we want to use more tech. It's better for automation. It's better for tracking. It's better for implementation, but it also has its limitations in how people consume the information. So I'd say the first step is make sure people can open the email and actually get into the treatment plan. And then from there, like you said, you know, the next logical would be, are you following the treatment plan on a daily basis? And if you're not... Oh, oh, oh hang on, Doc. Sorry. I got to interrupt yeah. you there. I apologize. Yeah. But they opened it. Okay. And then there's another piece of that, which is, did they read it and know what to do? Like, did you Great even point. write yeah. that properly? Like, are the instructions yeah. even clear? I think is is another part of it. And, Absolutely. And, yeah. And so you, it, it sounds like if I'm hearing correctly, uh, Dr. Alex, you guys have a, a team that can actually help people that maybe get stuck at that part of it, even in interpreting the instructions. So you, you have a human element to that right now. Is that right? Yeah. Thank you for calling that out. So yes, we, we have, we're in a beta phase right now of a program where we would offer a service to our practitioner clients where we do the proactive outreach for them mm -hmm. so that they don't have to have care coordinators, health coaches, or the likes on staff to do that for the treatment plans that they write through our platform, not, not beyond that. Yeah. And the human element, like you just said, is so critical in care. It's very hard to cut that out. It's a, you know, a big topic of, of what we've been talking about with you as well is there's so much that AI and automation is now trying to cut out of healthcare, but you'll never fully be able to replace the patient and practitioner interaction, that, that human connection, and what that means with regards to following the treatment plan. So yes, when you've opened that treatment plan, once you get in, can you interpret it correctly? Does it make sense? Is it congruent with what was discussed in the office prior to opening or, or in the virtual visit? And from there, are you filling the entire plan or are you only filling part of it? You know, one other common thing that we're discovering is that patients will often only purchase one product or maybe two or three, depending on, on how many products are included in the treatment plan, or they'll follow part of the diet, but not the entire diet, or they'll do some of the lifestyle, but not all of them. And if the practitioner is expecting that they're following all of it for the next three months until they see them again, there's a big gap there in time and as well as care and potential outcomes if that's not being tracked properly. Totally. So fulfillment, if you will, of, of the entire thing, of the entire treatment plan is, is really critical as well. So now, I guess, once you've confirmed that, you want to ensure that they're following along all along the way. And there's a lot of drop-off that happens too, right? So as people get engaged in their treatment plan, if they don't see immediate benefits or immediate changes, their motivation to change and maintain this kind of change in their behavior becomes affected. This is where a platform like Heads Up Health comes in, where I think there's there's this brilliance of if you can track biofeedback measures along the way, like I said earlier, you're not necessarily going to change the symptoms overnight, but you usually change the biofeedback measures, the, the underlying data. Right? So heart, 
Heart rate variability is a great example of this. Yep. If somebody is highly stressed chronically, then they're going to have a low HRV. Yep. If you get them doing breathing exercises within 24 hours, their HRV will come up. Yep. It may not come up a lot, but it will come up. And if they can see that, then they can see the immediate benefit of what they've just done. Right. So you can't. That, that's intrinsically motivating, kind of what we were getting back to before. And it's stuff that can exactly. deliver a really quick win. And I would argue that if you can get someone to see that quick win within the first seven days of being on a protocol, like this is all getting into like, honestly, yeah. it's funnel analytics basically. But, but if you can get someone to see a win, like let's just use the pre-diabetic example and, and you've got them on a CGM and, and they're on the berberine, for example, and, and they've cut yeah. the carb and they see that their fasting glucose or something like that has dropped 10 points and their HR and they, they got a better sleep because, um, they didn't have an elevated heart rate with a late meal. So like getting some of those early wins in like the first few days of someone being on a protocol, getting them some objective data they could see. And, and we talked about the continuous glucose monitor, just seeing some of those changes happen quickly. Do you think that if you could get someone to have that little victory in the first few days that they kind of verified themselves, that's going to likely increase the chances that there'll be compliance through the rest of the program? Well, let me ask you, Dave, if, if you go to a a casino right now and you start playing the slot machines and the slot machine gives you a little bit of a win right off the bat do you think you'll keep playing i'm gonna mortgage my house right there i'm <laughs> sign over the pink slip and i'm just <laughs> the, the point is casinos are based on gamification psychology right and, yeah and social media has been based on that and yeah. it sounds manipulative but we have to start thinking like that in healthcare as well how can we help facilitate behavioral change and if we think that just giving a treatment plan and then that's it is enough, that's not enough anymore. There's yeah. so much more that needs to go into it. And our tool that we can use to help gamify the experience is that kind of data, that underlying data. Totally agree. That's the gamification part of it. For me, it's just, that's why I got down the path of, of heads up because for me, just seeing some of the numbers was such a reality check for me that it immediately changed my behavior, nothing else. And I realize everybody's different and there's lots of debate about like, do wearables even work and yada, 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 our CGM's a waste of money. You know, those are, those are completely separate conversations. But for me, just as an individual with no healthcare knowledge at all, it was just seeing the numbers. And quite honestly, they were a lot worse than I thought. <laughs> and and it, it led to behavior change. So I'm fully on board with, with this idea that, that the biofeedback can lead to gamification and can help. So let's go back to our pre-diabetic example here. In those first seven days, what would be some a biofeedback win that you'd want to give people to say, okay, if, if I can get this person to see a little bit of an improvement in the first seven days, how would you engineer that for like a, a pre-diabetic use case? Or it could also be the chronic stress use case where it's it's a little win on like the HRV number, what would you be well, looking actually, it's for? Funny. Those two examples you just gave could actually, you could use both or either HRV or continuous glucose monitoring, right? Because typically chronically stressed people have elevated cortisol, which results in elevated blood glucose. So the two kind of overlap, but I mean, from my perspective, just having continuous glucose monitoring with someone like that very basic type of technology, but it allows you to see what each kind of minute by minute, hour by hour, what's happening when you make changes, when you change the way you eat, 
potentially when you take a product that is helping to lower the blood glucose, all of these things. And I, I keep saying lowering blood glucose, I'm keeping it simple for now, but what we're talking about is improving insulin sensitivity, mm-hmm. right? So someone who's pre-diabetic or someone who's chronically stressed is going to have significant issues with insulin sensitivity. So we don't have a good biofeedback way to measure insulin sensitivity right now. So the best next best option is to measure what's happening with blood glucose. Totally. And you want to be able to see that blood glucose go down, which implies that your insulin sensitivity is either going up or the amount of glucose that's flooding the system is going down. One or the other is good. So from my perspective, again, like I said, you know, you're not going to see the, the immediate changes in symptoms necessarily. And if you don't, that's usually where patients fall off within the totally first two agree. weeks, right? So we need a tool in our tool belt that allows patients to see that change faster, which then helps them stay, as you said, organically compliant. I, I love that term. In that breaking period there, the first two weeks are usually the, the most significant. You can extend that to the first 21 days. And after the first 21 days, that's when you really start to see the changes mentally, you know, depending on what the symptoms are, start to happen. And then people are bought on. But you have to get through that initial, the initial period there. So let's back up the tape here because we, we've covered a lot of ground. We just dove right in. I don't even think we did introductions. Terrific. <laughs> but, but yeah. So you've done an assessment on someone and you've yeah. assessed metabolic markers. Let's say that you've looked at their fasting insulin, for example, yeah. and yeah. you've looked at their hemoglobin A1C and Molly, uh, Dr. Molly, there's limitations with some of these tests, but let's say you've yeah. looked at a fasting insulin and You've looked at a fasting glucose and you've you've looked at an HbA1c and you've now shown this person the numbers. You're in the red zone here or maybe the yellow zone. And so you've laid out the data and you said, this is where we want to get your numbers. We want to get you back into a healthy range. So now people know they have an actual actionable target. That in and of itself creates some gamification, whether you agree with that or not. It's like, that just kind of make, for me, it makes it fun. It's like, hey, Alex, this is where you're at today. We got to get you to here. And it's an it's a yeah. measurable, achievable thing. So you started with that. That's step one. And then step two is you've designed a protocol and sent it to someone. So that's the second stage of the funnel. The third yeah. stage of the funnel is we've confirmed the person actually opened it. Yeah. So the email system works. That's a good thing. Yeah. And, and then they actually knew what to do with the protocol. And we can probably determine that because they ordered the products. So now we've got them to that point. Now we're looking to, in that first seven days or, or whatever X days, we, we want to get them to a small victory, which would be seeing the numbers improve. Like you said, even though the symptoms may take longer to improve, there's biofeedback that's changing immediately. So in terms of the number of integrative practices out there, Alex, including a device in the mm-hmm. protocol that can do the biofeedback collection? Is that a high percentage, a low percentage? Let's just take the CGM. Is that something you're seeing commonly, Dr. Alex, where there's a device included? Let's just take the CGM, for example. I'm, I think we're all incredibly excited about the promise of this technology. Let's just use that as an example. So could you see yourself now potentially, or it could be something simpler like a glucometer that comes along with it for basic readings and stuff like that. Would you see that being included now as part of the program? Are you guys doing that today? Is it something you see yourselves doing or where are you guys at in terms of including the data capture devices? So to answer your first question, from what I see right now, and this is is not data-driven, it's more anecdotal in terms of my, my interactions with practitioners, I don't see this common yet. There's not 
in my opinion, enough practitioners who are, are leveraging the technology that we have available and using that to create a data-driven type of practice. So to answer that question, the number right now I see as being low. To answer your second question, where we would like to get in the short term is within our protocols, which right now are purely supplement-based, we're in the process of expanding them to diet and lifestyle, that within those, we make recommendations for what kinds of biofeedback would be appropriate within this protocol, right? So here's the recommendation in terms of products or diet or lifestyle, but here's also what you should be doing to track. And that could include blood values, if you haven't already done that testing, or it could include this type of biofeedback data. Or both. Or both, exactly. I should have said and or. Exactly. So you could make a recommendation in, in the protocol to say, here are some of the recommended devices that you could use. And yeah. um, if the providers so chose, they may actually want to make sure that the patient gets that. Maybe it's even included as part of the package. Like I know when we work with Dr. Glad on some of his um, fatty liver stuff, the device is included in the program. Yeah. And, and the setup and the training, like that's all part of it. And um, they actually get patients to the point where they know how to test glucose and ketones at home. So it could be included as part of your protocol and then perhaps up to the practitioner to decide if they want to go to that point or even if they want to prescribe a CGM. So you could include some recommended devices and like here's some recommended things to look for in the first week. Like here's how the biofeedback should change. And then you could potentially get to the point where there was that that first insight. You know, just going back to our side of it, you know, we could actually have a a dashboard for the patient where they can see their own journey. And, and we'd know if a data point came in in the first seven days, even just knowing that a data point came in means that even if we don't know what the data point is, we just yeah. know that that person's taken a reading. And now the person, a lot of people have never measured this stuff before. And as soon as a person starts measuring, they now have an awareness that they didn't have before. And they have an awareness of what's happening with their body and they're making an association that did not exist before. And that's a psychological win. It's just even knowing that this individual took one reading. And um, there's debate about, about whether how well people can interpret this data. But for me, I always come back to listen. Even if someone looks at the number and came to the completely wrong conclusion, they're developing an awareness that didn't exist before. And so I think that's the next part of it is, is how do we then get some using the latest digital health tech included. We get protocol prescribed and get the ability to measure some data in the first week. We get that first small victory. If I were a gambling man, I'd say that if you could get someone to at least take a reading in the first seven days, the chances of them staying compliant till the end would be, I don't know, what would your guess be? 30% higher that they they stick to the end and and get through it that's obviously a complete guess but like you said if you hit the slot machine and you win in the first five minutes exactly. what, is, what is the odds you're going to stay on it how do we apply that logic here to this use case exactly i agree with you i can't give you exact data I, I don't know what the percentage would be but i would imagine similar to the slot machine example if you got that kind of shift in, in experience early on then you're potentially even looking at a 50 50 type of conversion, I would say, because you've tweaked the people's interest. So, you know, going back to your, your funnel analogy, you know, when you look at the, the classic marketing funnel, there's the awareness at the top of the funnel, then there's the interest, 
then there's the consideration. So the consideration is more or less, I've received the treatment plan, now what? Then there's the intent, then there's the evaluation, and then there's the purchase or the buying in to the treatment plan and, and truly staying engaged with this. So, and that purchase that's part of the, the marketing funnel, I wouldn't call it purchase in this case. I, I call it buying in to the treatment plan. Yes. And once you have that, then you typically have people who are engaged for life. But most people that you're working with, again, from our adherence research, most of the time, the, the fall-off happens much earlier on. And so if you can prevent that fall-off, there's any tools that you can insert. And, and digital therapeutics, tracking biofeedback, and common reminders, and, and things like that, those were all components that we found were confirmed to improve adherence in those okay. initial two to three weeks. So I know we're kind of reiterating now what we're saying, but I can't enforce enough what kind of a shift that would instill. The, the challenge is what kind of standardization is in this field right now? And I think we're, we're maybe at a crossroads where there's been a lot of initial research done and initial launching of certain products and devices that allow us to do this tracking. But from the outside looking in, a lot of practitioners are still not sure where they plug in and to which device they should use to, to get going with this. The nice thing with Heads Up, not to pump your tires here too much, but there isn't really another platform well, like yours. Hey, pump, pump away. <laughs> <laughs> There's not really another platform like yours that can consolidate all of the various bits of information, right? Because them from a, a Sumto running watch like I have, or from an Apple watch, or from you know an Aura ring, or from you know, whatever. There, there's so many different devices now that I think the hard part for people coming into this space at this point is not knowing where to start. So I love your suggestion with the protocol idea, not only saying or recommending a certain device, but just put it together as part of the protocol. You get a box and in it are your products, your content that you need for education. You know, here's your Mediterranean diet meal guide, and here's your CGM device all in one box and get going. From there, one thing we haven't talked about, which I think is so, so critical in this field, is once you start being able to track the data through an interface like Heads Up, you start developing the foundation for creating data-driven case studies. And when you put numerous case studies together, you're starting to develop substantial research for outcomes in this space. I can't underscore enough the importance of having practitioners start to do more of that work in this field of medicine, in the preventative field of medicine, where we, we need more research, data-driven research, to show what the impact is when we're using these kinds of therapeutics and interventions. If we don't start tracking the data and creating more evidence within this field, again, we're, we're struggling in evidence-based medicine type of situation where the pharmaceutical and the, the conventional types of interventions, which by the way, I'm not whatsoever against. I mean, we, we need these in common medicine, but the evidence base for those are always going to be much stronger and more robust and therefore make it into the standards of care. Whereas the other types of interventions are much harder to substantiate if we don't have the data for them. So by tracking data and by leveraging a platform like Heads Up, or by using Fullscript to initiate that, that process and then be able to track if the patient is staying adherent and then use the data driven through heads up, you start putting together the pieces to create a data foundation to drive this kind of research for outcomes. Well, I love the idea of the um, including the device. I love the idea of the data-driven case studies. And that could be a symbol of N equals one. Like, like this was the case yeah. of this particular individual. It could also be a cohort level. 
So if you knew that you were putting 50 people on this protocol, for example, and yeah, could we absolutely. capture the, the data on those 50 people and also having the behavioral data to discuss here were the different points along the journey. And, and here's how we yeah. got to a really high compliance rate. So like we, we got people set up with their device, like critical in the first seven days, they have to take a reading and get set up. So like helping also to validate how the uh, adherence worked and what works to keep people on track, I think would be incredible. So when you're saying data-driven case studies, could that be N equals one or could it be, would you need to have larger cohort sizes? I mean, even if you're just capturing the case studies, as a way to validate your practice, I think. Even blog posts, that creates incredibly positive momentum. It creates proof points. I mean, those N equals one case that we do those all the time because they help us build trust and build credibility and validate our business. So there's much a business development tool, I would say, as they are a tool to start bringing evidence base back into the industry. So can you just talk more about like what kind of case studies you'd want to see out there in these situations? Yeah, that's, again, a great point. I was thinking of it more from a scientific research perspective. But from at scale, the cohort level. Perspective. Yeah. yeah, if you're looking at it just from the science, the collection of larger amounts of data is always better. So an N of one won't be as impactful, but it still is impactful if you start putting it together with other N, N of ones. There's obviously less standardization when you do that because there, there could be differences in delivery of care and obviously yep. what the patient situation is and all of that. When you're comparing scientific data versus business development data, I think there's a bit of a nuance there, but it's a, it's a great call out. 100% agree with you that from a business development perspective or you know, in terms of promoting your clinic or your practice, case studies are great. And if you can even go so far as writing up a, a short but professional description of what the process was and what the outcome was. Fantastic. From a scientific perspective, case studies will never be as robust as, you know, hundreds or thousands of member cohorts. We're using multiple or much larger participant groups like that. However, if you can put together the data of numerous case studies and start to show trends over time, for one, that, that does start to provide a stronger foundation. And two, it provides a, a starting off point to do those larger studies where potentially you have 50 or 100 or, or more participants and you start gathering that data. So what we're talking about scientifically is data aggregation. How can you start to aggregate the data once you know what the, the treatment plan is or what, what the interventions are, what the therapeutics are, and what the, the ultimate outcome is? So I would assume that to some degree, you could probably even do this on the back end of Heads Up where you scrape or you, you remove all of the, the personal identification details. And you look instead at if we're dealing with a 50-year-old female, okay, how many 50-year-old females do we have? What do we know about the conditions that they, they are dealing with? And what do we know about the interventions that are being applied? And you put those pieces together and you can start to make deductions based on 50-year-old females with this condition based on these interventions. And then you've got a data set to work with. Right. So there's a lot of power here if you start plugging the data into it. But if you don't have that, if you're you're simply basing on opinions or discussion, one thing that, that just drives me crazy is when people publish protocols that are, hey, I'm a key influencer and here's my protocol. Just basically accept my protocol. That doesn't fly 
in evidence-based medicine, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't fly in scientific research. You need more detail than that. You need the substantiation to begin with of why these products or why these ingredients or why these interventions. And then from there, you need to be able to track with data what's actually happening. Usually, like the you know five years, 10 years ago, the, really the basic standard that we had was blood tests. Now, with this type of data that we're talking about, you can take that to the entire next level. Yeah, we're starting to do that with a lot of the clinics that we work with, where, where they are able to, uh, they have their an agreement with their patients that the anonymized and de-identified data can be used in that way. And we are able to give practitioners the ability to run these reports on large cohorts of people. So on our system, you can say I've got 500 people on the system and you can assign them into different cohorts based on different conditions that you're doing. And you can put the lab data in there and put the lifestyle data in there and start to do that analysis. That's part of the vision for where we want to go. So we can definitely facilitate that level of of data analysis. Obviously, it requires that the, the data gets into the system. And a lot of sophisticated practices we're working with now have health coaches on board. And those health coaches are, are working with patients to make sure that the metrics are getting into the system at the right time, that the testing is being done, that the uh, protocol is being followed. So um, we're starting to see health coaches come in, in in very strategic roles to help make sure that that process is, is guided through. But the objective data analysis has definitely always been our, our passion and something we can provide. I want to go back to like after that first week, Dr. Alec, where where we got somebody a win and just continue. Okay, now I've got another 11 weeks of the program before I'm retesting for like the outcome, basically, to see did the fasting insulin come down, for example. So um, what kind of interventions or checkpoints or um, compliance metrics would you want to design in over, over that second half. Obviously, the check-ins may be less frequent as they are, and the types of compliance would need to be different. How would you imagine the, let's just use the example of a 12-week program, and everything's gone great after the first week. They've executed on that, that first part of it. How would the rest of it play out in, in your ideal world from a compliance adherence point of view? What would happen there? Yeah, it's again, you know, I, I think it maybe differs patient by patient, but you know, at a, at a high level, what you're again, you're looking at is ongoing engagement, right? So that they're they're continually staying engaged with whatever the treatment plan is that they agreed on. So that could be in the form of continually tracking their data. Yep. It could be in the form of continually taking whatever products. Yep. It could Which be in the form self-reported, of, for example, could be yep. self-reported. It could be that they're following a certain diet, which I believe you now have a feature where people can take photos of their upload that, right? And so you can see exactly what they're what they're consuming. We can, yeah, absolutely. In the form of, yeah. So that, by the way, is brilliant because it doesn't. Yeah, you know, I think one thing that I find, for instance, my own practice, that's a huge hindrance for people who are following a specific diet, especially one that's caloric based where you're, you're trying to coach them on, you know, certain calories in what they need to consume in terms of macros and all this, it gets overwhelming to track all of that data. So just taking a photo and allowing your practitioner to view what you're consuming and make recommendations and potential changes on that is so much easier. And that kind of simplicity 
it helps to improve adherence as well. So little details like that. And another example would be for lifestyle. If, if a recommendation is to go for a walk every day for 30 minutes, well, then ideally you're logging that. And right now, you know, up until now, you know, most of these things have been done manually because there's not a centralized place to do that. So I have a lot of patients who in the past have used the document to track all of this. And then when I see them again, they bring pages of documents or pages of, of tracking for us to review together and say, here's all my diet stuff. Here's all my exercise stuff. Here's, you know, the check marks for every time I took a supplement that I needed to do. And, and they've done it all manually. But now I have to, first of all, scan that into my EMR. And from there, if I want to create a trend of some sort, I need to manually input that into a spreadsheet or something else to be able to see what's happening over time. So I try to enforce this that in integrative medicine, when we're dealing with complicated holistic treatment plans, it's much harder to track all of these details versus a more typically conventional binary treatment plan of take this pill or don't take this pill. Right. So I'm maybe not answering. Yeah. I'm not answering your question specifically, but I think my overall point is after that initial time where you really need them to engage in the plan and, and be bought in, it's not necessarily overly complicated in terms of, you know, what they need to do, what they need to do is stay engaged with all the components of the treatment plan. But what's complicated is their day-to-day -day lives and seeing what, from their perspective, what the potential restrictions are to staying adherent. So if you get them engaged in tracking, and again, that's another way of gamifying, you know, today you click the box or you, you mark down when you went for your 30 minute walk and you on the other end can see that being tracked over time. The beauty in that is you're encouraging the patient to maintain that behavioral change. And you can also start to see if they fall off and intervene if that's necessary. So what we commonly see now is as the kind of the ideal model for this is a clinician, a, a licensed physician will not necessarily be the one doing that, that intervention work between visits it's more again a patient care coordinator or a health coach or something along those lines that is using the dashboard to track and jump in with that human contact if necessary that's part of why we're also now offering the service through full script where just based on what the practitioner recommends for full script our team can check in periodically to make sure things are going as planned right so you have to have a blend of the data the gamification but also the human contact throughout the journey. And the longer you can maintain that, the better likelihood for long-term behavioral change, right? The longer time elapses after the initial treatment plan has started, the more chance that the patient is going to fall off of their treatment plan. So you have to, you have to be smart about continually plugging in reminders and, and ways to prevent the non-adherence. And then over time, once you, you get through those initial stages, now you've instilled long-term behavioral changes that will stay with the patient for the rest of their lives. And then the concerns start to decline over time. I love it. You know, the, this is kind of like, if you look at it from a purely completely automated, no humans at all, you know, mm -hmm. this has kind of always, always been the holy grail of digital therapeutics, which is, could you design something that can do this at scale and can have ways to use technology and AI to make sure that all of these steps are being followed and that can actually be designed and it can be done and it can probably work for, for large cohorts of people because the software would be intelligent enough to know that the right data points are coming in every day and that they're in the right range that indicates that, that the person is compliant. And, and so there's 
there's ways to completely automate this. And this is potentially the, the promise of therapeutics. And if you need to do this with millions of people, a fully automated software-based AI solution could do it. But more in line with reality is just, like you said, having someone in the practice, whether it's a coach or a other person who is checking in with people at least on a weekly basis through those other 11 or 12 weeks, like you said, reinforcing the right actions and the behavior change. And our software can probably get intelligent enough to know where it could highlight to coaches the people that need a phone call. Like we haven't seen anything from this person in two weeks, for example. So it doesn't mean we're going to take the place of making the phone calls, just going to, we'll be able to flag people that say this person may have fallen off the radar or they may have not. They just, something happened. The device is not connected or they forgot to self-report or whatever. But then you you get them to the 12 week milestone and then presumably you're going to retest. We were talking about this, I think, before we started the show, which is how many times, unfortunately, there's no data at the end, or maybe it was to actually verify that you reran the numbers and the right number moved. Like, um, for example, if someone was working with Candida, for example, and they got better, but did you actually test at the end to see that the Candida marker went down or was it something completely different that led to the outcome that they feel better? So I presume at the end, and and there's obviously a cost to doing that follow-up testing. And if the person feels great, there's certainly an outcome there. And there's a cost to doing that follow-up test, but now you're at the end, you do the follow-up test, and and now you have kind of the the final validation. And if a person can see that, like, wow, through my own volition and my own actions and in support of this protocol, I I moved a clinical marker that is, for me, potentially life-saving, life-extending, life-optimizing. That, I think, is really kind of the the optimal situation. Now you've built the trust and rapport of that person. They believe in what they're doing. They've seen it all. And they're they're much more likely to to continue down the path of whatever positive changes we, we needed this person to make. And I loved your point, which is just how much this harder this is sometimes when you're using lifestyle-based protocols mm-hmm. versus purely something binary, like yeah. you, you take something on, on a day or not. So I completely understand the nuances and the complexities and the challenges of doing this type of work in an integrative space, but it's not really that hard. Like we're not that far off from everything we laid out here today at all, based on like where we're at and where, where you're at. And I look forward to the day where we could actually test this, you know, full end-to-end 12-week protocol with compliance and engagement and tracking and outcomes. Yeah, That to me is awesome. I would love to, to work on that. Well, like we said, when we, we talked before this show, let's do that. And then let's come back here in a few months and, and talk about how it went. So I'd say that that's a challenge we can put on ourselves for your listeners that we're going to try to do something like this and, and show what the model looks like if we do that. So one thing I, I want to make a point about is that you know I'm a strong believer and becoming an advocate for the fact that AI and automation will never replace humanity, will never replace the human contact or the human relationship. But what it can do is help to inform decisions and streamline the processes in how we operate, including in medical practice. So we've talked a lot here about how AI or data or automation in this case can drive human behavior as it relates to patients and behavioral change, but it can also do that for practitioners. And and you alluded to this earlier as well, that we can use 
AI to inform us when we should be reaching out as a human. And a really great uh, example of this on the Fullscript side was, you know, when Fullscript came out, it was the first platform like this that allowed practitioners and patients to connect through treatment plan in this space. And we had e-prescribing for years before that in the pharmaceutical space, but we had nothing on this side. So that was great. That was a first step. But we quickly realized that without automated reminders, there wasn't as much stickiness with the patient sticking to this treatment plan that the practitioner was writing for them. So we found just by including automated reminders, that had a significant boost in keeping patients engaged with their treatment plan. But now we're finding that only goes so far. An automated reminder is a robot. It's an automated thing driven by a computer or an algorithm that sends out a reminder. And that's not as meaningful as somebody picking up a phone and calling you and saying, hey, Dave, it's John from Fullscript. How are you doing? Is there something that you need? What's going on? And that will never be replaced by AI or automation. And so I, you know, I, I think we, we've touched on this in various ways in, in the chat today, that if we can figure out how we can use all of these various technologies to support the human interaction better, or the better human interaction, I should say, then that's the sweet spot that we need to land it, right? We have all this technology that can support us in automating our practices, that can support us in making our practices more efficient. But if we try to cut out the human out of this, it's never really going to work. And I think, you know, one thing that we're mutually working towards as, as two different platforms is to help arm the practitioners with tools that allow them to provide better user experiences for their patients versus what they're now able to get out in e-commerce where, you know, you have access to blood testing and quizzes and, and all sorts of genetic testing and, and everything that creates a very personalized experience that makes it seem like this is what you get out of there. As practitioners, we need to start stepping it up because there are systems out there that are competing with us. Yeah. And these kinds of platforms are the tools that we can use to create a better experience that includes the human element. I agree. I think you need to combine the best of both. I think the technology can be extremely helpful just to help you figure out who needs a phone call or who may have uh, fallen off the program or even on the flip side, who's doing great and is ready for a reach out for some positive encouragement. Yes. But, yeah. but, and, but then always having the, the human element of the outreach. And I think you can have the best of both. And I think that's where we'll get the most impact. And that's why we're starting to see a lot more health coaches come into practices to do exactly that. And they're trained to reach out and work with behavior change. And yeah. I'm optimistic. I'm seeing changes in the payer system as well in terms of this idea of having someone in the practice whose job it is to reach out on a day-to-day -day basis and provide the human element. I mean, that's starting to become recognized. Yeah. We're even starting to see early CPT codes for that. I'm told that coaches can now get like NPI numbers and stuff. So I, I think that's catching on is that notion of we have to have that regular engagement from a fellow human as part of this. And that just leads to better results and equip everybody with the latest state-of-the-art technology and products and services. And I think that's that's where we can aspire to. Yeah, I'll right. take you up on your offer, Dr. Alex, to prototype this and dog food it. You know, my old job, the CEO said that uh, he coined the term eat your own dog food which means do you actually test your own products? So um, I know we're thinking of ways that we can dog food this and figure out how we can go right from what we talked about, which is like protocol sent 
all the way to the 12-week follow-up and design those milestones in between and have ways to know that this is working and people are staying engaged. So I look forward to testing that with you and we'll be back with the follow-up once we have more to share on that. But for now, this was awesome. I think really kind of shining a light on the importance of all of the stages in the journey and how we can increase the chances of, of success and getting to better outcomes and using the latest technology. This was just really, really fascinating. Thank you. I agree. Yeah. Thank you for all the work you're doing at Heads Up. I think it's really important work because like I said, there's no other platform like, like yours that's able to consolidate that much data right now. And same with you. So if practitioners are listening to this, they, they can get set up with you. What's the best way for, for new practitioners to onboard with you guys, Alex? Yeah, it's, it's really easy. I mean, we, we have an advantage with our platform that it's a no-cost platform. So you can go to fullscript.com, sign up for free, and play around with it and see if it works for you in your practice. We integrate with, I think it's now nearly 20 EMR platforms. Nice. So you can use Fullscript from within your EMR. You don't even have to leave it if you don't want to. So it's a no-risk platform to use. And the reason for that is because you make money and we make money when you prescribe products through the platform. So we make a very small margin off the sale of each product and that's our business model. So the beauty in that is you can use our platform for product search. You can use it for education, for all sorts of other benefits without even having to put any money up front. That's not easy because I know most platforms like ours are, are based on a SaaS model. You know, so we, we have that advantage for the time being and I'd say even for yours, for heads up, you know, it is more of a SaaS model, but it is a very affordable SaaS model for, for what you offer, right? So you can get going. We took a page out of your book, uh, Dr. Alex. We now have a completely free and perpetuity way for you to come on and, and use it as well without hitting a paywall at all. You can use it for a year or a month to your heart's content. Nice. So we're, I didn't know that. We're taking oh, awesome. the same approach here, which is just... Because it, it, it takes more than 30 days to come in and learn and get familiar with something before you get hit with a paywall. So we're, we're kind of doing the same thing as you guys. Fantastic. So there we go. Two great platforms that are supporting people with data-driven practices are now free, right? And as you get going with your practice, then the, the payment is scalable based on how many patients you have engaged. So in my opinion, again, from a platform perspective, that, that's the best way to allow people to come into this space. So that's fantastic. I'm glad you mentioned that. I love it. Thanks for sharing your insights here, Dr. Alex. It was really, really fantastic. And I really look forward to collaborating with yourself and, and Dr. Glad and the rest of the team over there. Thank you for your time. Sounds good. Thank you, Dave. Much appreciated. Thank you for listening to Data Driven Health Radio. 